Psalm was written while he was a king. There are a couple of reasons for that. And I believe it was written at a very specific time. And that was after he had learned the hard lessons of sin because he had sinned with Bathsheba. And because as you look at it and you look back, you realize here's a guy who had made some choices. And morality and purity is always a choice. It is never something that comes easy. It's always easy to go with the flow. The flow of this world is sin. It's controlled by Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world. And it's very easy to just go with the flow. It's very easy to keep your mouth closed and go with the flow. It is easy. You and I both know it. We didn't overtly go, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do something bad. But everybody else was kind of going that direction, so we kind of didn't say anything. We didn't take a stand. David says, I will not do that. I will not do that. I will not do that. And as a result, uh, we see in Psalm 101 that he makes some very hard statements that will affect us. In fact, as I'm going to tell you right now, some of the statements are so hard, I'm not sure how to apply them directly to us. I believe there's, uh, there is absolutely uh, application, but I'm not sure exactly how to do this. So David, as king, determined personally he would maintain purity. As a king, he would maintain purity in his cabinet, his advisors, his counselors, those that were there to aid him. He was going to do that. And the basis of it was his perception of God. And so we have purity. It's perception. It's based in who God is. It's personal and it's public. And it is Psalm 101. So let's look at this psalm and see what it says. It says in Psalm 101, verse 1, I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To thee, O Lord, I will sing praises. And you go, where in the world do you get that from? Loving kindness is a word. It's, the, it's as far as I'm concerned, the strongest word in the all, all of the Old Testament. Because it takes almost the whole New Testament to flesh out this word so that we understand what it is. Loving kindness is a combination of grace and mercy and love. It's a combination of faithfulness and loyalty and fidelity, covenant faithfulness, covenant loyalty. And it all comes down to a person. You see, God is absolutely just. I'm not going to go into that. That was last week's sermon. Just. It's a right decision based on a right standard. And God can never ignore sin. He must always deal with sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Loving kindness and justice. So here's God. He's absolutely perfect. He's righteous. And He's just. He's holy. He must, in His anger, in His wrath, execute judgment on sin. At the same time, He is absolutely loyal to those that don't deserve it. To sinners, to the nation of Israel. He's loyal. He said, I will send a Savior. Whosoever will may come. If you believe, you will be saved. i got to tell you, a perfect God saying to sinners, I want you to come to me. That strains everything we know. It requires a death. It requires a sacrifice. It requires a payment, a redemption for sin. There's no way to get around it. 
And so David looks and says, God is absolutely just. He deals with me that way, and yet at the same time, he's loving and kind. Loving kindness. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. He's faithful. All of this comes together in one word, in one concept. But the whole thing is, I am never going to live a pure life unless I understand who God is. And so in taking a right stand, I don't become legalistic and harsh with other people. God doesn't do that. He absolutely holds a standard, yes. But he makes a way to deal with that sinner. And that's what David has as his perception of purity. God is pure. In fact, is uh, in Psalm 63, it says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. Wow. We, we like living. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here. You would have done yourself in. Please don't do that, but that's what it comes down to. We like living. We don't like everything that happens, but we like living. None of us goes, I, 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 I want to die. You know, we, we don't necessarily do that because we want to live. We have a desire to live. But it says his loving kindness is better than life. Why do we at times when we think everything has failed and the, the end is here, why do we keep living? It's not because of ourselves. It's because he is loving and gracious and merciful and kind to us. He's the one that gives us the ability to go on, the desire to go on. That's the God. His loving kindness is better than life. Because life can be harsh at times, as many of you know. But in Exodus chapter 34, it says, The Lord passed in front of him proclaimed, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, and yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. See, God keeps everything in perfect balance, complete in every way. Holiness, righteousness, and justice, absolutely. Judgment on sin, absolutely. Sinners who need a Savior, yes. And he deals with us, and he deals with it in a way that everyone is satisfied. God's holiness is satisfied because of a righteous sacrifice. It required an absolutely perfect sacrifice, God himself. And that's why Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth. He came to die so that God's loving kindness could be carried out. His holiness could be satisfied and sinner's sin could be paid for. It all works together. And David looked at who God was and how he operates and said, this is my standard. This is my perception. This is how I will deal with this and the only way I can deal with it. But the second thing this morning is David vowed that his personal integrity would remain intact. You can never have an outward public stance unless you have first decided and lived out a personal purity, personal integrity. If you would follow with me in verse 2, please. I will give heed to the blameless way. 
wilt thou come to me? I will walk within the house, in my house, in the integrity of my heart. Both of these words that are seen here, blameless and integrity, come from this exact same root word in Hebrew. They both mean completeness. They both mean something that is brought to its final end. Something that is innocent and it measures up. It's upright. It is entire. The whole thing, it's not part of my life. That's what we normally like to do. We compartmentalize our life and say, okay, when somebody's watching, I'll live this way. And, you know, if they're not watching, I'll live a different way. If I can get away with it, I'll be different than if I don't think I can get away with it. He says, no, blamelessness and integrity have nothing to do with those concepts. It is complete, and that's the key word. If you see blameless or uh, integrity, think completeness. Completely in one direction. In fact, as I have my own personal definition of integrity. Because you say, well, is that the same as being truthful or honest or not deceitful? The answer is yeah. But here, I believe when you study it out and look at every place it is used, you come to a fuller understanding. Integrity is honesty, uprightness, with a right heart attitude. That's the completeness part of it. It's not just a show. It's the whole of who you are. That's the whole that's the whole issue here. So David said, from my inward parts to my outward personal life, I am going to live completely innocent, blameless uh, before God. Why do I believe this was written after his incident with Bathsheba? Because before that, I think he had a double standard. After that, we know from Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 that he had a huge change of heart. He was truly now living as a man after God's own heart. Had horrible consequences that went with that. But I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but you can if you want, because for the next few moments, I'm going to use as my main illustration this morning, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. You know the story well. But this is a story that illustrates the opposite of what we're talking about here. I believe David has learned from his huge, expensive mistake. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it starts and says, when it was time for kings to go out, they would have normally began uh, defending their country in the springtime. David didn't go. But he sent, and you're going to find David sends and gets everybody to do a lot of things for him instead of himself. But he has the power to do that. He sends his servants out. They go out, and they're fighting. But David stayed at Jerusalem. He was, first of all, I call this the downhill part. If you don't have integrity and you're not living blamelessly, you have a downhill part. You think you can get away with it. I'm no different than that. And if you're sitting there thinking that you're different than that, you're fooling yourself. Nobody is immune from what I'm talking about. I don't care who you are or what the sin is. By the way, your temptation may be different than mine. Doesn't matter about that. I'm not looking at this is just adultery and murder it's a, and deceitfulness. It could be anything. doesn't matter what it is. David is the wrong time, at the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been with his... his um, 
armies. Well, David one night, he's got nothing to do. So what's he doing? He's walking around on the roof of his house. Guess what? It's the same thing as you play around the computer when you have nothing to do. It gets you in trouble. I don't care what it is. You know, it, it just gets you in trouble when you have idle time and you start going places you normally wouldn't go. In your mind, with your feet, it doesn't matter. You get in trouble. So he's out walking around. He sees a woman a few houses down. She is bathing um, on her rooftop. He sees and looks, hmm, she's not bad looking. He again sends and inquires about the woman. See, he keeps sending. That's, this guy, he uses everything in his power to go in the wrong downhill direction. So they find out it's Bathsheba. She's married to one of his officers. And David sent messengers and said, hey, come on over. The king wants to talk to you. Uh, I'm giving my own paraphrase here. And she came and she laid with him. And after it was over, she knew she had done wrong. She went and purified herself. And then she returns and says, I have conceived. I'm pregnant. That's the downhill. And it didn't start out with uh, full blast. It was a look. And then the second look, and then it was ascending, and it was a doing, and it took a lot of conniving to get this all done. By the way, once you start downhill, once the blamelessness and integrity is violated, it goes downhill. Then there's damage control. Maybe, uh, yeah, I blew it. I blew it, I went downhill, I got in trouble. Maybe I can cover it up. Damage control. And so he does. So he says, send me her husband. He's out doing the king's business. He's fighting and winning battles. So he sends and Uriah comes back in. And uh, when he comes back in, he asks him, hey, how's the war going? And he gets a report, which should have sounded okay. Um, and he says, go down to your house, wash your feet, go in, have, some, have a good time with your wife. You know, spend some time, relax with your wife. Uriah, being an honest soldier, goes, you know what? My men are out there fighting and dying. There is no way I am going to take advantage of this. He sleeps on the king's doorstep. Uh, this guy has integrity. He has no idea what's going on. David can't get rid of him. He said, why didn't you go down? They, they came and said, hey, David, this guy didn't do what you asked him to do. Uh, he slept at your door, and he asked him, why didn't you do it? And he tells him what I just told you. And then David signed to Uriah's death warrant and says, here, Uriah, take this back and give it to your commander. He is carrying his death warrant with him back to the battlefield. I got to tell you, when you start in sin, it never, never stops on its own. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and that's exactly what happens. David is now uh, signing the death warrant for one of his best servants, so the letter simply said, put Uriah at the fierce part of the battle. When it's really hot, back, everybody else back off and let him there by himself. And, of course, they did that, and he got killed. It was kind of like, what in the world is going on? Make excuses for it. I'm just glossing over a lot of it. Make excuses for it. But uh, it comes back, Uriah died. You know, he got too close. Everybody else backed off, and he didn't. And so he died. You go... Okay, David got away with it. Nobody knows for the worse. But he didn't. First of all, there were others at this point that knew what was going on. And then God sends Nathan. And Nathan gives a story. It's one of those ones that rip your heartstrings. You know, about a lamb that's a kid's pet. And 
somebody comes along and takes it who's powerful, says, I want that lamb. The kids are crying. The parents don't have their lamb. Uh, it's, it's a mess. And David goes, that guy should really be in big trouble. He should die. And Nathan goes, and here's where it comes. You're the man. Now, you're the man. We use it sometimes as like somebody did something good. You're the man did not start out that way. It's like, you're the man. You're guilty. It is you. The guy you're mad about, that's you. Now, you've got to understand, David is and had been from his youth a man after God's own heart. And so he gets it. But he's learning it the hard way. His heart is right, but it's not quite the integrity that you see in this psalm. Because he is learning, and he's learning the hard way. And I encourage you, uh, don't. Uh, make it that God has to teach you the hard way. But anyway, he says, you're the man, and uh, here's what you've done. You've despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight, the exact opposite of blamelessness and integrity. <clears throat> and uh, you've done these things, uh, and he says, you've despised the, despised the word of the Lord. You've struck uh, Uriah the Hittite. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword, and you used your enemies to do that. And uh, because this has happened, there is death as a result. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, it always is. It means separation. It can mean literal death, but it means separation. Separation from God, separation from others. Let's face it. You sin, it causes separation. Just no matter what it is, it does. It brings death. And... It goes on to say at the end of the chapter, it says, The sword will never depart from your, your house. Uh, I will rise up evil against you, even from in your own house. Your wives, remember he took somebody else's wife. He says, your wives will be taken from you in broad daylight. It's going to happen. You did this secretly. Your sin was secret. I'm going to broadcast it. All the bad things that are going to happen to you are going to happen, and the whole nation is going to know it. In fact, is you have given occasion to the enemies of Israel, which at the same time are the enemies of God. You've given them an opportunity uh, to blaspheme. And as one last final result of David not having integrity, of David not living blamelessly. He said, the child conceived from this affair is going to die. You know the rest of the story. I'm not going to go there. But the chapter ends, and the child was very sick. And we know that within a week he died. Now, David writes after that. We know that he confessed we, we know that from Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. We know that God was willing to reuse him. And I believe Psalm 101 is the end result, his manifesto, if you will, that he is now not going to do those things anymore. You know, you may be here this morning and think, I blew it. I've done things that God could never forgive. That is not true. He is loving and kind. He will do what he said he would do. And he will use you. You may have consequences that are lifelong, but he will use you. He needed, uh, he will use even the bad things to clean up your life, to get you in the right direction. But he goes on to say, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to be blameless? How am I going to be upright? How am I going to be complete? have integrity in my life. Verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. 
Hmm. He said, I'm going to watch what I look at in the future. Remember, that's what got him in trouble. He saw a beautiful woman. He went from there. He said, I'm not going to set worthless things before my eyes anymore. Job had said the same thing. I will hate the work of those who fall away. I'm not going to look at the world as my hero. Those that do the immoral, illegal, unethical things of this world and look like they get away with it and they're celebrities and well-known and make money. He said, I'm not going to work with those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. I am not going to allow sin to get in my life, take root, and grow. He said, a perverse heart shall depart from me. That's the things that are twisted and distorted and despicable in this life. The things that are crooked, that are cause guilt. I'm not going to allow those things in my life. And I will know no evil. I'm not going to experience that. If I see I'm going the wrong direction, I'm going to stop. I am going to, from the heart, have integrity. I'm going to be blameless. Hard-learned lesson in David's life, but he learned it nonetheless. He realized that he had to get rid of the bad things before he could move on. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that I thought was a good illustration until what happened to the... um, Rysics this past week, in case you don't know, one of their apartments, you can pray for them. We did Sunday night. Uh, one of their apartments caught fire, and it's a mess. So I thought I had a mess story to use. I could use their story, but I don't know their story fully, so I'll use mine. We've had, and you may remember a few years ago, I brought in a, a furnace filter that was totally black and said, this is, this is your lungs on uh, cigarettes. Well, we now had the person move out of that apartment. It was literally the color of this when it started, and uh, it was, um, how many shades darker than that, Faye? I don't know. It was just covered with smoke scum. I've never seen anything. I've cleaned out bad refrigerators and stoves and things like that, but this refrigerator actually had a film of smoke on the inside of the refrigerator. I've never seen that before. That's how bad it was. First thing I did was rip out the carpet, which was in decent shape, but it smelled like a dead cigarette. I had to take that, took it to the incinerator. That was the only place I knew to take it. Started from there, and we spent a minimum, I think you actually spent more than this, but between Faye and I, we spent a minimum of 30 hours with the harshest detergents we could find. My hands, in case anybody wants to look, you'll see my fingernails have no grease under them. Uh, They haven't for three weeks now because they've been in water. I got dishpan hands now. You know what? We had to have integrity before we could even start. We had to get rid of the smoke smell, the smoke scum, because it would have bled right back out through the paint. Uh, We had to clean everything from the smoke detectors to the light switches because everything was just covered with a layer of tobacco smoke uh, and the residue from it. And then start over and cover everything or wash it or cover it and whatever else. And we've done that. The people were moved in yesterday. What a pain in the neck. But I've got to tell you, without cleaning everything, it would still smell like fresh paint and smoke. We had to get rid of the bad stuff first. David learned that because it's at the heart of the matter. The guy at the paint store said, well, maybe you can put some kills on it. I'm like, yeah, you probably could, but it's still not going to get rid of the smoke. You guys got a much bigger job. But it's not going to get rid of the smoke. Got to get to the heart of it. 
Integrity is honesty, purity from a right heart attitude. That's my point this morning. David understood that. And if you don't understand that and don't practice that, guess what? You will learn the hard way like David does. It wasn't that David said, I don't want to do what the Lord wants. He was a man after God's own heart. But he had to get to the source of the matter. Get rid of the stench first before he could move on. That's what point B this morning is about. And then there's the personal interaction. David was a king, remember, and he not only had influence on himself and his family, but he had influence on the government and the whole country. And as a result, and these are where the statements come in that are really hard for us personally as not being kings in Israel to apply it to our lives. But he says, starting in verse 5, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Whoa! Slander is when you take speech, truth, and slant it. That's how I remember what slander is. It's not an official definition. But slander is taking the truth and slanting it. Okay? For your own purposes, of course. He says, people that do that, I will destroy them. How do you do that? Okay, how do I apply that to my life? I think this is what it comes down to. The only thing I can come up with is when somebody is slanting the truth, we just need to remind them that they're slanting the truth. He says, no one who has a hearty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. Young people, I encourage you, be careful of who your close friends are. Adults, guess what? You're no different than a grown-up kid. In this area, you're around and continue to rub shoulders on a buddy-buddy basis with those that are arrogant and uh, haughty and, and think they're all that in a bag of chips. You know what? It rubs off. You've got to be careful. Then say you can't do that, but you better, better, better be careful because it will rub off. He goes, uh, verse 6, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He said, I'm going to look around and I'm going to observe who is faithful. Those are the ones I want in my cabinet. Those are the ones I want to rub shoulders with on a regular basis. I'll minister to the rest. I'll have an influence on the rest. But the ones that are my buddies... The ones that I'm really, really close to. I need to be careful. The old saying is, birds of a feather flock together. That's true. But it is. That's why you're here and not someplace else this morning. Because you're like, I identify with what God is doing. The Word of God. Fellowship with Christians. That type of thing. Doesn't mean that you don't go out in the workplace tomorrow uh, or some other day and rub shoulders with the world. But you don't allow that to become your standard. Verse 6 goes on to say, He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. Who are my heroes? Who are the ones I look up to? Who do I learn from? The ones that walk in the blameless way. Same word as we looked at before. It says, verse 7, He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. David said, you know what? Those that won't tell me the truth, they won't be living in integrity. That's not the people I'm going to look for for advice as a king. The only application I know for us is, 
Who is your advisor? Is it some, some totally pagan celebrity on TV that's giving worthless counsel that will get you in big trouble or some magazine? or I don't care what it is. Or is it God? Is it His Word? Is it someone who takes a stand on the truths of the Word of God and lives it out? Who's going to be my counselor? David said, my counselors, my, those that minister to me, they're going to be the ones that uh, don't practice deceit. They're living blamelessly. They don't have the arrogance and the haughtiness and the dishonesty. They do have integrity. <clears throat> verse 7 goes on to say, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 8 goes on to say, Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off the city of the Lord, cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Now, David was a king. I agree that he had power that you don't have. So how do you do this on a regular basis? I don't know that you can do the same exact thing that David did because he could ban somebody from Jerusalem. He could kick somebody out of his inner circle. He could do all of those things. You don't have that privilege that he has a king. But I tell you what, you have a mind to use. And you have to make choices of who is going to have a hold on your life. Who is going to have an influence on your life. Who is going to impact your life on a normal, regular basis. You have to make a decision. I know I have to do this, that all the time. So do you. I'll tell you what. Sometimes the ways of the world look really good. I can get away with this. Just slant the truth a little bit, and uh, you know what? I don't have to do what's right. Nobody will see. All my buddies are doing it. I, I, I can tell you, and this is not to brag, or otherwise I land up with the haughty look and the arrogance, but I am the guy that's known at, in garden tractor pulling as the guy who will actually disqualify himself. <laughs> Nobody else does that. You either catch them and disqualify. Dave Lamb did a great job at the last poll, and I disqualify my. He left me go, and I disqualify myself. He did it. By the way, don't blame Dave because he did exactly what I told him to do. But my tractor, we didn't have white lines, and my tractor got a little on the grass, and Dave left it go, and I disqualified myself. You know what? Because I knew other guys were looking, and I told them, if you get on the grass, you're out. So basically, and I went back and I said to Amy, I said strike me off the list, I disqualified myself. But other guys have seen that. I, earlier in the year, I lost a lug nut and they left me pull. You're not allowed to lose anything. You drop anything on the track, it's a disqualification. I lost a lug nut and they said, hey, do you want to pull again? And I went and pulled. And afterwards, I'm like, went home, looked up their rules, and their rules were the same as ours. And I went back and the next pull I went to, I went to the guy that was, I was, I think, in second place and I gave the, my check to the guy, the, the cash, to the guy that was in third place. And I said, look, I lost a lug nut. They didn't disqualify me. Here's, your, here's the money for second place. The point is this. Nobody would have faulted me. But I've heard the guys actually say, Paul's the only guy in this sport that will disqualify himself. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I, I'll wear that as a badge. You know, I'm not telling you I've got it all right. I'm just telling you, that's the kind of thing that we need to know. Otherwise, I become like them and violate everything I'm trying to teach this morning. 
Or I can have integrity and look and say, you know what? Those guys are not my standard. Most of them are not Christians. A few are. Most of them are not. Their standards are whatever you can get away with. I can, I can do that. And I'd fit right in. <laughs> but that is not my goal here, folks. My goal is ministry. I, I want to have an influence on them, and them instead of them influencing me. I'll tell you what, it's not always easy, but that's what I need to do. The New Testament takes these same principles in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you take these principles and you look, the church had lost its ethics, its morals. And the Apostle Paul was really torqued. He was not happy with them. And he said, look, I'm not even there. And if I was there, this is what I would do. In spirit, this is what I would do. You need to make sure your associations are correct. You need to live in an ethical, moral, biblical way. Your standard needs to be righteousness and justice. Yes, loving kindness. Yes, preaching that there is forgiveness, but sin must be judged. And so when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, you realize he didn't do every, always do everything right, but he also learned, just like David, that we are to live a pure life. How does it start? Does it start with what I think is right? No. It's justice. It's who God is. How do we perceive God? If we see God as lax, you will not be living a pure life. And then it's not, well, they should... It's like, no, I need to. It's personal. And then as I act in the world and react to the world and those around me, including your Christian friends, how do I act? Do I maintain my own personal integrity in a public way? Do I live out what I say that I believe? If I don't, I'm a hypocrite at best. Otherwise, you're just a really, really rotten example. And that's a hypocrite, too. So I'm just challenging you. God's call is to purity based on who he is. Starts with you. It's not, well, if other people got it right, then it would be easier for me. Oh, that might be true, but it's never based on that. It's based on God. I have to live it out personally, and then as I interact with those around me, what do I do? What do I allow in my life? How do I interact and react to those around me? That's where purity starts. I challenge you. That's what God asks us to do. It is the way that we distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world. Because we live in integrity. Not only we do what is right, when we'll get caught or it'll be found out, but I do it with the right heart attitude. Whether anybody ever cares or not, I'm still going to do what is right. That's integrity. That's real biblical purity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has shown us justice at the same time loving kindness. Lord, I thank you for your perfect example you've set for us, and I know none of us attain that. But through Jesus Christ, we have no excuses whatsoever for living any other way. Lord, I pray that we would personally vow to set our eyes in the right direction, have our hearts right, to live blamelessly. And then, Father, that our lives would be a beacon, a shining light to the world around us. Lord, help us to go from here challenged and encouraged. 
to live a life of integrity and purity before you and before the world. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God.